All right, so welcome back to the podcast. Today we are joined by our second guest, Jeff Harper. He is the CEO and co-founder of the company that I currently work at, Dwight Health, as well as the CIO of our parent company, MedData, which is pretty insane because I did not know that until today. And today is actually the first time that I've actually talked with Jeff face-to-face. Because every time I see you, you're always like either calling someone or listening to like something in your earphones. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, welcome to the podcast. Two jobs for the price of one is what I tell my boss all the time. I, I never fail to remind him of that. <laughs> it's the grind. Yeah. Yeah. So thanks. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to, to be here. Yeah. So do you have anything you'd like to add? No, I think, uh, yeah. I mean, um, so my background is uh, I started off in, uh, in technology a long time ago. I looked for MCI WorldCom, which at the time was one of the, you know, kind of top technology companies. Uh, a lot of people feel they remember Enron, but they don't realize that uh, WorldCom was a bigger bust than Enron. I uh, really? we watched the whole company; it's like a twenty-eight billion dollar bust because <laughs> uh, they, you know. So people don't remember that, but at once upon a time, it was like the the coolest technology. Um, then I was in financial services and spent a lot of time there, uh, helping them do interoperability uh, with things. And then uh, and then the market crashed, um, and I didn't have anything to do. With it. And um, can you hear that? Yeah, yeah, it's fine. Yeah. <laughs> Told you, kids at home. Uh, there's just always somebody crying about something. Um, and so, you know, we didn't have much to do, and we started a company, and and now it's become Duet Health. So it's kind of a, a wild ride over the past ten years. That's were, you, were you one of like the original founders then? Yeah. So it was my dad and I. Um, so wow. he and I had had a consulting company that was doing consulting and financial services, and um, and all of our clients were big. Uh, New York based, really, they call it tri-state, big tri-state based companies. And, um, and so we literally lost our whole business in a week. Um, <laughs> so when the market crashed, um, all of our clients were gone overnight. Uh, it was like the worst week ever. Uh, it makes coronavirus seem, seem really nice. Um, mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, he and I started the company. So we started a company called eProximity. Um, we, you know, it's kind of a weird model, but we, um, we didn't start in healthcare at all. Um, so I really did most of the work and, and he helped out with a lot of stuff and got it going. But yeah, I was the one who, who kind of founded it and, and got everything off the ground and, and evolved it into what we are today. Did you so ever you- expect to, sorry, did you ever expect to like get to where you are today? Like, did you have that kind of vision? You know, it's funny. Um, like after, after we sold, uh, the company, I started uh, making notes and, and I'm making them into a book um, and the book's called Unrealistic Expectations. And, and so I think anybody who does this has this vision of like success, right? And so mm-hmm. you have this unrealistic expectation that you're going to be, you know, successful. But um, I would say there are times when, you know, we were on the phone on, um, on Friday afternoon and, and literally we're talking to Harvard Medical School people and other folks we've been working with for eight and 10 years. And there's a little bit of an out-of-body experience there where you're talking to some of the people that are the top names in healthcare and they're asking your advice on how to, you know, handle <laughs> telemedicine or something. It's, mm-hmm. So I, I wouldn't say that, that I expected that. You do, you know, you want to be successful and you think you could be it, but, um, you know, there, there are those times where you sit back and think, man, that's, that's kind of amazing how we, you know, how we've evolved. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's pretty insane. Like, you, th- you think you're like at a really nice situation right now, but in five years you could be somewhere like you can never imagine. You know, like in, in like one year, I went from like, like a pretty like mediocre coder to somewhere like to, to where I'm right now. And I'm like, 
I could have never imagined, you know, getting an internship freshman year in college, which is pretty insane. Yeah, I mean, but I think that's the cool part of it, right? Which is, you know, at some level, you, you, you have talent, you just got to figure out how to apply it. And you got to keep, you know, trying it different ways and seeing mm-hmm. how it works. And, and then the other cool part is, people do like to help other people have success. And so you got to find those people. There's plenty of other people that, you know, are trying to keep you down, but you keep, you know, banging away at it until you find some people that are going to help you and, and grow. And then there's tons yeah. of people uh, that are, that are looking to take a shot on the next guy that's up and coming. And, and, and that's pretty sweet too. So what's yeah. it like with your uh, two jobs? Like what's your schedule like with that? Uh, it's a, it's a little nuts. So, <laughs> Um, I get up every day at five and run on the treadmill for about 45 minutes just to kind of level my head. Mm-hmm. Um, and I literally do that every day. So, um, as Kevin mentioned, I travel, uh, usually, uh, two out of the, you know, two or three days out of the week. So I'm usually gone on Tuesdays and come back on Thursday nights. Um, so I get up really early. I'm in the office by like six, I walk out of there at six. Um, sometimes I stop for lunch. Sometimes I don't, um, you know, Kevin can see my schedule in the Google calendar and it's, mm-hmm. it's literally all full. It's insane. It, uh, you know, it's a crazy, a crazy ride. But um, then I go home at six, have dinner with my family when I'm home, uh, help get my kids to bed, you know, do that thing with them, read them books. And then at eight o'clock, throw back on the computer and usually work from about eight to 10. So, so how many hours would you say like a day you work? Uh, most of them. <laughs> okay. it, it, it's been a lot. So, it, you know, um, what happened was about a year and a half ago, the company that owns us had uh, uh, basically fired their CIO. And, um, and before they did, it approached me and said, hey, you know, you're doing a great job with Duet Health. We have all this proprietary software. Also, can you take on these two jobs for a while? And, um, and I said yes. Um, and then, um, you know, we were supposed to find some people to help out. There's, you know, there's a path. It's kind of like what Kevin was saying. You, you have an idea of a path, but you don't know where it's going to go. And then um, about two weeks after I accepted the job, they said, hey, um, we're selling MedData. So, so we're going to exit, you know, a $300 million company from a, you know, $3 billion company, which is a pretty substantial transaction. And they said, hey, would you be part of the sales team that did that? And, you know, I, of course, said, yeah, like, that sounds great. Um, so, you know, it, it was a wild ride that finished and uh, we exited the company in, uh, in November. So we found a private equity company that bought us. And, uh, and so things have died down a little bit, but this wasn't supposed to be uh, a long-term plan. <laughs> there, was, mm-hmm. there was supposed to be some different models and, uh, and how it worked, but it, it just worked out like this. And um, beginning of this year, duets really exploded. Uh, so some of the things that we're doing, even right now, I think, you know, the coronavirus has expired, you know, it's exposed some of the things that um, we've been talking about for a while is, is really good opportunities for healthcare. And so, um, that's now leading to all kinds of new opportunities. So, so we're trying to figure out literally, uh, we were on Friday, how I really focus more on duet health and, and less on that data because, um, mm-hmm. the opportunities to really scale the company now are pretty, pretty amazing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think we have a pretty amazing team as well. Cause when we first started working remote a week ago, like we actually shipped all our products, which was pretty amazing. Um, in that week. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, it's, it's, it's been an interesting path and you know, duet, it's funny. I mean, you're an intern, but Jim, who runs our technology was an intern, right? And so I don't know if you ever told you that story, but we, we hired him off of Twitter um, <laughs> really? all the way back when. So yeah, I mean, you know, we've created a company of people that, um, you know, are all kind of motivated in the same ways and, and all excited and, and pushing towards it. And so it's been fun to watch it 
happen from a distance and mm-hmm. um, see all the things that are going on with it. Yeah, would you say that's our biggest strength as a company? Yeah, I think we, you know, Jim and I created a thing a while ago, never really formalized it. We just, we were calling it like iPhone U at one point. Um, because, you know, if you're sitting in Columbus, Ohio, that's not a hotbed of, you know, mobile talent. And so, mm-hmm. and even at the time, our first iPhone developer that I hired, Spencer, who's not with us anymore, he lives in Greece, it's on an island. Um, <laughs> he, he, uh, he was a music major. Um, and then he, you know, did a double major in Ohio State at, at IT also, but nobody had apps. And so, you know, he handed me an iPhone app. It was really garbage, but he actually had an iPhone app back when people didn't have them. And so we realized pretty early on, we need to get good at cultivating our own talent. And then as we grew, we, we, you know, started to be able to hire people that had experience from the outside, but we didn't like their experience as much. We wanted to kind of grow our own people. And so uh, Jim's a great teacher. Uh, he has, you he know, is. really a, a passion around that uh, kind of thing. And so, yeah, we've tried to use that as our, as our real secret sauce of how we grew the company. Let's train, motivate, find a great team of people. And then with that, you know, wherever direction the technology winds below, we'll be ready to go with it. Yeah, it's pretty funny. Yeah. We have a few psychology majors uh, that work at our company too. Yeah, That's I mean, you know, you, you took a test. Everybody takes a test. I mean, we don't really look at resumes, right? So you, you take a couple technology tests, you talk to some people, you talk about code, and you figure that out. Mm-hmm. And that's how we try to find people. We're not sitting around looking at what you've done in the past or, or how good it is. We're looking at aptitude mm-hmm. and trying to figure out where's the trajectory where somebody could go. I love oh, that. Yeah. Especially, yeah, especially with like so many of the modern uh, interviews nowadays, I think they uh, kind of test just like the most random and pointless things. And I think it's just a lot of people jumping on like the Google train um, and trying to interview like how the big companies do without mm-hmm. realizing that like all these companies are different. And, uh, you know, all of the companies have different culture focuses, different focuses on like what you look for in a candidate and everything. Uh, and I think a lot of companies just ignore that. Yeah, like the why is a manhole cover round? You know what I mean? Like all the mm-hmm. Google S people that I think are kind of a waste of time. But mm-hmm. but yeah, I think we're we're looking at aptitude and and you know like Kevin, we're hiring a lot of interns that are that are you know less experienced but are super motivated and want to grow and learn. Um, and that's what gets exciting for us. So I mean, we we've intentionally put our office right down the street from Ohio State. Um, <laughs> we we really like the talent of the kids coming out of there, probably because almost everybody we hired came from Ohio state. And so they like their school, but, um, that, you know, that becomes a, a big part of who, who we're trying to be quite frankly. So how do you, so I, obviously I'm less experienced with this and Kevin is, how did you guys go about, um, like recruiting on campus at OSU? Uh, so we really don't recruit on campus. <laughs> um, so Ohio state has, you know, like a lot of big schools, kind of some weird processes and philosophies, mm-hmm. quite frankly, that we, we don't really love. Yeah. And so um, we're kind of like under the radar recruiting. Um, we find some good people and then we ask them to recommend good people. And, and so it's kind of word of mouth. I mean, there's job postings here and there. I don't know, Kevin, did you even respond to a job posting? How'd you find us? Cause, cause we don't no. really work with Ohio state. I mean, you know, there's no relationship between duet and Ohio state. No, I knew one of uh, the employees at duet health and he recommended me and I went for an interview and then I got the internship. Yeah. So I you kind of got to know a guy, you know yeah, what I mean? Much. Yeah. It's like a secret club, you know, you yeah. got to know a guy to get in, but, Fascinating, but yeah. you know, we, we really, you know, recognize pretty early people aren't going to recommend people they think stink. Mm-hmm. And so, um, if somebody recommends somebody, they're at the top of the heap. Um, yeah. and really that's how we focused on what we're doing. That is that. nice. Yeah. So like, what do students like us need to get better at to run our own company someday? Uh, 
that's a great question. So, you know, it's funny, like, um, I spend most of my time now not creating technology, uh, which sucks, right? Like, you know, there was this famous quote from like the CEO of Twitter and he's like, being CEO sucks. <laughs> and it was as they grew. And it's so true. Like the, the, the job is different, right? And so um, I think the first thing, you know, that I would say is, um, you know, be good at working with people and interacting with people and, and having a lot of team skills. Like all the team work that happens in college you think is kind of bullshit because you're like, Oh, this is just a joke. And, but it is true. Like at some level in companies and a lot of companies, there's the guy who's not pulling his own weight, right? There's that team member who stinks. And then there's that team member who's going, you know, AWOL and doing some weird crap. <laughs> so being able to work with people is, is really a key ingredient. Um, you know, the, the other thing is to, to kind of challenge the status quo. I, I, I mean, I think in many ways you're learning stuff in school and most of the technology you're learning is, is not what you're going to use, right? So yeah. you should learn fundamentals. And so if you have those strong fundamentals, whatever the next X code is, right? Or the next, you know, uh, you know, React is that you didn't even think about, you're ready to apply it to it. Um, and so you're nimble enough to have the right kind of talent base to know what makes sense. And then, and then the other part is if you're trying to be in, you know, create a new technology and start a company, you know, you got to be good at business, right? So there's some kind of application of, of what you're doing. And so you've got to be able to look at the market of whatever that is and say, okay, here's a need of some kind, whether somebody comes to you and says it's a need or you just think it's a need. And you've got to be, be able to build something that can, you know, provide you, whether it's through ad revenues or uh, subscription models, some kind of, you know, mechanism to get paid to create the finances for it. So it's mm -hmm. kind of the, the apex of those three things that, you know, you, you have to do. And then, and then you got to get lucky, but um, you also have to be resilient and kind of dumb enough to keep, to keep plugging away at it over time. So, you, you know, you're listening to a lot of professors telling you a lot of things about what they know and, and what they know is based on what they know today. And, and it's like, you know, in December, we thought certain things in March of this year, we think totally different things. Yeah. So, you know, you got to be you know capable of looking at the future and trying to guess what it's going to be like and, and trying to hit that. Yeah, so it sounds like you think the business model and execution is more important than the idea of the business itself. I don't, I don't know that one's more important. Like you read a lot of books and, and I read all kinds of things and, and founders think the idea is the most important. And then, you know, venture capital and private equity people think the execution is more important. And there's this ongoing dialogue, almost this argument constantly about which is better. But, but I think they're both important. I don't know that I think that one is more important than the other. But I would say that the execution of it, you know, it, it, you know, if you have a bad idea, you can execute all day long and it's going to be garbage. But if you have a good idea and you can't execute, you're in trouble too. So it's really the, the combination of those two things, I think, that makes it successful. I think that's why like the founding team is like super important is you've got to have people who are like um, resilient and like able to take no a thousand times and keep trying. And you have to have people who are smart enough to also be like, okay, this isn't working and the market, we need to figure out what they actually want. Um, and like people who are willing to pivot and pivot quickly and execute quickly. It's so true. Like, you know, Duet Health did not start as a healthcare company. We were, mm -hmm. we were doing um, micro-based ads and malls right? Couldn't be more different. Um, you know, but we, we were good at building software. And so the pivoting is important. And you meet a lot of people who, again, are banging their head against the wall. And if they turned a little bit to the right or the left, they would accelerate like crazy, but they're so stubborn in what they're doing. And so 
stubborn is a good thing until it doesn't work anymore. And, yeah. and it's, it's totally an art. It's not a science. Like you, you just don't ever know what's you know, going to happen in the future. But, you know, if you look at the winners and the losers, that's really, you know, what differentiated them. Yeah. Yeah. So like so, I have a, sorry, so I have a teeny bit of like experience um, with like running startups and stuff. Um, so like there are always those team members you talked about earlier who like don't necessarily pull their weight. How do you go about like motivating those ones um, or like bringing them up to speed? Like, is it like bringing in someone else so that they uh, see someone else is doing more and uh, they get competitive and they step, uh, step up or like, how do you go about that? Yeah. I mean, that's easily the worst part. Like, you know, it's, you know, why did he say being CEO sucks, right? There's a bunch of parts of it, but, but one of them is, you know, people decisions and, and mm -hmm. how you, you evaluate, you know, people that are, that are behind. Um, you know, I think it's a lot of frank conversations with people. I think the good news is in a, in an agile software development world, everybody knows who's not pulling their own weight. Mm -hmm. People are real, uh, honest with each other at some level. Now they're not going to be honest with each other out loud, but they're honest at a deep rooted level. So they usually know. And, and I would say, you know, we haven't had to fire that many people, but when we fired people, usually it's been their colleagues that fired them, not me. So yeah. really there was a rumbling with, from within and then people started to approach, you know, the leadership to say, hey, this person's not good enough. And then, you know, you kind of knew that, but, but then it's everybody's kind of pushing in that direction. And so it's actually a little bit easier if you've got a strong team. It's harder if you don't, but, um, you know, y you have to remove the, the bad apples. You've got to get them out of there fairly quickly. Or, you know, what happens is um, people don't want to work with people that stink. And so the mm -hmm. longer you've got, you know, a bad apple in there, you've, you've got a whole group that's rotten. Yeah. Um, you've really got to move fairly quickly on that. But, but as long as everybody's on the same page and knows what it's doing, um, you can do that. The tough thing is a lot of companies start with buddies and it always stinks when your buddy isn't you know, pulling their own weight or isn't good enough or whatever mm. that is. And, and that's where, you know, sometimes you come to problems and, and have issues. Yeah. It's especially hard to say no, especially if you know the person like really close. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's like big head in Silicon Valley, right? Like, you know, he's their buddy, but he had to get out of there. Mm -hmm. um, and, and it is hard. And, and at the same time, you know, when you've got limited resources, limited time, and you're trying to do what you're trying to do. You've got to make sure you've got everybody on board and, uh, you know, aligned in that sense. Yeah. So how's like being a CEO made you more resilient uh, in that sense? I don't know that it made me more resilient. I mean, it's, uh, um, you know, when you start a company, um, you have all kinds of troubles, right. Um, that come from all different directions and, and any number of them, right. You're trying to get clients, you're trying to get people. Um, so, so I think a lot of this um, is just kind of something you've been dealing with for a while and are comfortable with, and, and some people are comfortable with that and some people aren't. But I don't think it's made me more resilient. It's, it's if in any way, it kind of numbs you to the world a little bit because you, you're just, you know, dealt with these things so many times and it just gives you a lot of scar tissue. But I don't think it, it, it changed me. I think I was, you know, kind of on this path before and it was something I wanted to do. And so, um, I, you know, if anything, I just kind of validated it to myself over time. You know, so it's, you know, it's, you know, that first meeting and then, you know, the other meetings, and then you grow and then you sell and then you sell more. And then you, you, know, you pick up that inertia from just having, you know, some success or having experience in doing it. And then that gives you, you know, in some cases, the validation that you need to make the decisions you're making and, yes. uh, and feel comfortable in the direction you're going. Yeah. How did you go about getting like your first few customers? 
Uh, so, you know, I told you, um, you know, we, uh, w- when we started the company, it was my dad and I, and we were um, going down this road. We, we picked up the phone and we called people and, and we explained who we were and, and we went after um, some, some groups that, that made sense. And so um, I, I don't want to say that it was rocket science, but, but we were, you know, when we finally pivoted to being Duet Health, we were, we were a company that didn't know anything about healthcare. And we were building mobile applications and we built like three, which, you know, made us better than a lot of people, but by no means was, was, you know, great. And, and at that point we were working out of the short North in an office that was, um, it was for an apartment building or a condo building that never got built. So, so we were just like squatting on some space. Um, but we, we knew a guy at Ohio health and, and they were building mobile applications and they needed an app built for doctors. And so we convinced them that we could do it under the budget of, of another company and, and in a shorter period of time. And, um, and we did. And so they liked it. Uh, and then they ended up investing in it. But we just slept around the world and called people and tried to make relationships. And, and we knew pretty early on we needed, uh, we didn't have a healthcare background, right? So most healthcare companies have like a chief medical officer or their CEO is a doctor or something like that. And I'm none of those things. And so we just tried to create relationships pretty fast and uh, called some of the you know folks that were some of the biggest and best healthcare organizations in the world and were dumb enough to think that they should buy stuff from a, a company in uh, Columbus, Ohio, and and then convinced them we should do it. And and it was I don't want to say as easy as that because it was hard as hell. But I mean that's really what the model was: find the people and demonstrate to them that we could do it and create some relationships. So what yeah. was like most of your time spent on in the beginning? Um, I mean, I don't think that there was one thing. I mean, I think, you know, you're, you're constantly struggling to, uh, you know, I'd say there's, there's like three things. One, you're, you're struggling to get a product out the door, right? So you got to have a product that, you know, and that's a, that's a huge amount of time and effort. Um, two, you're, you're struggling to find new customers. Um, because, you know, you always feel like money is going to go further than it does. And so, you know, we got an investment that, you know, that first deal with Ohio State, or sorry, Ohio Health turned into, an investment. They gave us $250,000. I remember holding that $250,000 check and I was like, we're rich. It's great. <laughs> um, and that money goes really fast. Yeah. Um, so you're constantly struggling and you're constantly running out of money. Um, and, and, and then the third part is, you know, just trying to figure out where you're trying to go strategically. So you have a product, but it's not really the product you like. It's the product that's good enough. Right. And so the term MVP is true. Like the minimum viable product you can't make the best product. You can maybe get the good enough product. So trying to create that strategy and figure out what that strategy is trying to be is, is where a lot of mindshare goes. And, and a lot of it you find out later is wrong. You spend a lot of time trying to figure things out. But um, you, know, you, you, you essentially ask other people, you, you get you know, mentors, you, you, you know, ask for help from your customers. And, and so you're asking your customers for money. And at the same time, you're asking them for the direction that you're supposed to go and how it's supposed to work. And, and those are hard decisions and maybe the hardest because there isn't a right or wrong answer. I mean, winning yeah. a customer is a right or wrong answer. Having a product that works or not is a right or wrong answer. Understanding where you're supposed to go from a trajectory. Well, nobody really knows that. Yeah. So what's your long-term outlook for Dwight Health? Yeah. So, I mean, we started, um, you know, on a path about two years ago and, and we'd worked with big health systems. So, so we had built products that were, for a specific use case. 
and then the market changed a little bit. A software opportunity opened up, and and then we took advantage of that, and and it's grown like crazy um, around it. And so, you know, what we really determined at the beginning of this year is that Duet wants to be the company that's helping health systems, you know, in children's hospitals, large health providers, um, be the uh, have tools that that deliver. Uh, a really incredible patient consumer experience. And so, um, you know, we started doing that with mobile applications. Ironically, it was easier. Uh, now we're starting to go towards the web and we're building uh, web pacing presence uh, stuff. And then what we really need is a unified, uh, we'd use the term technology agnostic solution so that whatever device I grab, my phone, I'm on the web, um, you know, potentially through a phone system, through the IVR, that we can deliver uh, one experience for a patient consumer that helps enable them to do everything they're trying to do with their health provider, just like they would with the American Airlines app or United Airlines or anything like that. And mm -hmm. and in hospitals and healthcare, they want to outsource that solution. So we want to deliver that as a software as a service that helps enable them so that they don't have to employ the people to do that. They can use our stuff and, and make it work. I see. You have any questions, Andrew? Um, actually, yeah, last, well, one more. Um, so earlier we were talking about acquisitions. Uh, what does that process look like? Oh, it's everything. So, I mean, duets gone from, you know, we got the first, you know, I told you, so first we got friends and family money. So you kind of follow this process, right? The smaller money, the larger money. Um, we, we, you know, went to some people we knew that were wealthier and they were giving us money at 25 and 50 grand a piece. And, um, and then we went to Ohio Health and they gave us 250 grand and then they essentially created the valuation of the company. Uh, so we uh, gave them equity, so units uh, in it and, and they set the, the company valuation at $2.5 million. They give us $250,000 and that was 10% of the company. Um, and, and then we, you know, were, uh, well, that went along for a year or two and then we were essentially acquired by a private equity company called Baird Capital Partners. And then they bought most of the shares and then gave me back a certain amount um, to help continue to grow it and, and be there. Um, and then Duet sold to a billion dollar company. <laughs> so we've been around for nine years and probably every two or three years, we've had some kind of fairly significant ownership change or events mm -hmm. of some kind. So we've mm -hmm. gone from friends and family money to true you know, venture capital type money to private equity money. And then and then now I had the experience of working with a company, you know, when you're selling a $300 million company, that's different than selling, you know, something quite a bit smaller than that um, and kind of watching that process happen. But um, they're all a little bit different, but um, you know, you've got to get also real comfortable with the accounting part of it. So I never thought I'd be an accountant and I hated accounting in school. Um, but when you're sitting around talking with private equity and venture capital and you're taking money, they're all accountants. That's what they do for a living. And so you got to be able to speak their language and understand you know, uh, that kind of, uh, financial angle of what happens. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and so, you know, it's not an answer to your question, but they're, they're all totally different. But you, again, um, I wasn't familiar with that. I didn't have a lot of experience with that. And so we found some mentors and some people that helped guide us through it. It's its own language, uh, for itself. And it's fairly complex, but not rocket science. You can figure it out. And, um, and I went from being the guy we were, I was laughing uh, on Tuesday. I did a video call with uh, one of our initial investors and, and he used to get on me pretty hard because I told him I didn't want to spend any time on the accounting pieces and, and I didn't need that. And we were laughing because in the last sale, the last transaction, I ran a couple of the meetings and was very comfortable answering all their questions and 
and giving them everything they needed to know. So in the two to three years that I kind of left him and been part of his transactions, I've grown to understand all the things that you need to know around it. But things like a cap table make sense, right? So mm-hmm. the cap table is the ownership of the company. And as you go and sell ownership, which is essentially what you're doing, you've got to make sure that you have enough ownership for you, for others, and that you do it in such a way that it makes sense on a trajectory so that you can uh, continue to leverage that and, and have it work. A lot of tech companies never make a buck for a long time, and that's okay. But you know, you've got to make sure that, you know, again, the financial structure is in place. So at the end of the day, something works out for you. It's amazing. For all of those acquisitions, um, did you guys reach out to those companies or did they reach out to you saying that they wanted to buy you? Kind of both, right? And so um, it's like selling any product. Companies are bought and sold every day. And so there's huge groups of people and huge networks of people. You got to figure out how to get in the right network of folks. But, um, but, but it was kind of both. The, the initial transaction, they walked in our office and said, we want to buy you and we want to make you a part of this thing. Um, and, and then other times we've had to you know, schlep around and do roadshows for six, nine, 12 months um, and meet with, you know, I don't know how many companies, 50, 60 different venture capital companies and, people. and uh, just day after day, do the, the presentation and the pitch and, and just keep refining the message until you find that sucker that wants to give you some money. <laughs> yeah. So I guess the last question, you know, like just for fun, um, like what are the interests you have besides being a CEO? Oh, it's, it's funny. Like, uh, so even, even like, you know, you, you start a tech company, right. And so, um, you know, we, we started duet, but I have three or four other things I've been trying to work with Jim on, on side projects for years and I just haven't had any time. So I've got three or four things on my whiteboard here at home that, that I get excited about. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and so, you know, there's a lot of things outside of, uh, technology, but even inside it. So I'd start there inside of technology you know, once you found, you know, there's a great quote by like Steve Jobs. It's like, once you realize that you can change the world, then, then you feel like you can do it. And so having started at, you know, one company, I feel like, oh, I could, I could probably do that again. And here's the four other things I'm interested in. So you have that kind of stuff. And then, you know, outside of that, you know, I'm old now, I've got kids. And so when you're, you know, start the company, you're typically younger and, and don't have kids, but now I have kids and like earlier today I was out playing in the yard and and I get excited about coaching their baseball teams and football teams and and helping them along and um and and just kind of coaching other people and other things um and then I do a lot of mentorship also um now through Ohio State and through other groups and and I enjoy you know kind of mentoring people and helping people that are starting their own tech companies along and or, or just other companies and and you know helping give them guidance on what to do, what not to do, what we've done and how it worked and you know, seeing them be successful. I like, I like coaching people and I like um, helping, you know, other people have success, whether that's with my kids or with other, other businesses and, and that kind of thing. Okay. Um, so yeah, thank you, Jeff. We honestly really appreciate this. Um, really appreciate your time. Um, for anyone listening, um, guys, you know, you know, you can check us out on Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, kind of wherever um, podcasts are heard. Um, leave a rate or review if you like us. Um, feel free to share with your friends, and we will see you guys later.